Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hooligan Report. Uh, I'm joined this week by Boyan Kantkick. Hello. And I'm also joined by Friar Tuck. How are you going, guys? Yeah, good. Um, I'll start with the big news of the week then, um, and it was announced yesterday that Optus had won the rights to broadcast the Premier League from next season for three seasons, um, snatching the rights away from Foxtel. And there's been a bit of um, backlash, I suppose, towards Foxtel as a result of this, especially on the board, where people are quite worried about what this means for how they're going to watch the game. Um, how do you guys see this? I'll start with Friar Tuck. Well, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty bad decision, all things considered, because um, usually Foxtel has a has pretty good coverage of the uh, of all Premier League games, I hear. So. Well, for those that've gone Foxtel, they probably would have had some other sports there. But I think that's a pretty, big, I think it's a pretty big blow. When I'm not entirely sure what Optus is going to offer at this point in time, but well, based on past history, it doesn't look too good for the uh, average uh, Premier League uh, fan, I suppose. Bayan, your thoughts? Uh, it's still a bit early for me to pass too much judgment because there's still the potential for Optus to sell the rights or sell some of the rights back to Foxtel, i.e. to on-sell them. I mean, if they were they were smart about it, then they'd sell back to Foxtel all the games that aren't the big games and then yeah. just have the big games exclusively on on Optus. Or else I figure that most people will just kind of stream the games or access them illegally. It doesn't make sense that Foxtel wouldn't get the rights, really. They've got a habit and history globally of just overbidding everyone. So, and the Premier League has really built news corporation. So the idea that they'd now suddenly not be top dog and have exclusive rights to Premier League is, uh, confuses me a bit. Um, an, an Optus spokeswoman apparently said that their goal is to make this content available to as many fans as possible, but they're not going into detail about distribution platforms at this stage. Um, is there any concern from you guys that perhaps Optus doesn't have a well thought through plan on how they're going to distribute the games? And I mean, it's only about six months or nine months, I suppose, away from the start of the, the next season. Do, do you guys see that as a, enough time for them to put something in place? Um, well, it, do, it wouldn't make sense for the distributors of the Premier League rights to sell them to Optus unless there was an adequate strategy in place because it just hurts the brand. So you would assume that either Optus have outlined what strategy they are going to use or, as I said, there might be a kind of sell-on to Foxtel from Optus at reading in principle already. I'm pretty much in agreement of that thought. If I mean, if they're going to bid for it, there must have been there must have been something reviewed on how they're going to distribute it. I mean, well, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty significant uh, thing, and you you want to make sure they get this right. So, I think this I think there is some plan, but uh, I I guess we'll see over time what exactly that plan is. I guess there is some worries about the first uh, the first match match day. What's going to happen there? But uh, well, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, and then just quickly, do you see this as, as potentially damaging the domestic league? I mean, a lot of people don't have Foxtel just to watch the A-League. They'll have it to watch the Premier League and they'll tune into the occasional A-League game as a result. Um, what what potential ramifications do you guys see as, as there being for the A-League? Very little, in my opinion. I mean, I think a lot of 
Australians that, that have Foxtel do it for a combination of Premier League and probably Fox footy. And so they would still keep it for Fox footy. Um, in terms of the A-League, probably your marginal viewer, i.e. the ones who are trying to find something to watch on Foxtel and, oh, the A-League's on, I watch, watch that, they'll probably get pushed away. Pretty much, pretty much the same thoughts. Usually they do have some. They usually have something else on. So it will have some impact, but I don't think it's significant enough. Fair enough then. Um, we'll move on then and review the main games from the weekend uh, that grab the headlines. And we'll start with the early game where Liverpool uh, beat Chelsea 3-1. Um, and it's emerged in the last 24 hours or so uh, and been covered on the board a bit that there's a potential that Marine, the decision's already been made on Mourinho, that he might be gone um, after the game against Stoke on the weekend. So how did, how did you guys see the um, game against Liverpool and, and was that the tipping point for Mourinho? I'll start with Boyan. I don't think it was the the tipping point, but I think it was definitely confirmation that, assuming that what has been said is correct and that he's going to be be sacked around the international break, um, I think that decision is definitely justified. Mourinho looks bewildered. It's probably the best way I could describe it. He has no idea what's going on. He's not just doing this to get a massive payout. He looks genuinely distressed and has no idea about how he's going to rectify the the situation. And if the reports of a player revolt are true, I mean, I heard that it was uh, Cesc Fabregas. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm not sure if it would surprise me if a best 22, sorry, best 11 player um, was doing that. But I was more thinking it would be, a, a, I guess, a maligned player or player not a, who had been promised a greater role who's not getting it, like a Loet Remy would be the kind of player who'd, who'd be doing this. All this stuff would come through John Terry. Whatever people say, he still runs that club, basically, yeah. in terms of the players. So if they're not playing well and Jose can't turn it around, I can say with a great degree of confidence that he's lost the dressing room, which means he's lost John Terry. And I believe that happened towards the start of the season when they had a rocky start and, and he, he dropped, dropped John yeah. Terry. I was going to say, think, maybe that was sort of the catalyst. I think so. I think so. Because remember that uh, Chelsea had uh, quite a few issues. I think when, when Benitez was there for a short stint and he said that um, John Terry couldn't play two games a week anymore yeah, and effectively marginalised him. Which is, which is common for managers coming into a big club trying to stamp their authority. But, um, yeah, I think the decision has been justified. And although, you know, one would say, well, you may as well get him, get him out early, it does, it gives Chelsea time to go and find a new manager and gives that new manager time to come in and spend a, a week with the, t- with the team before having to play a first game. Do you think they've already got a manager in place, Friatuck, or do you think, if, if these stories are true, or do you think they'll only be looking for the manager over the next week or so? I think if they're going to, I think, I think that if the, if, it, if the reports are true, I think they have chosen, I think they've chosen a pretty decent time to do it, so international break, so they don't have to well, worry, about it, worry about too much. They can... Well, they can do it. Um, they can do it while the international games go on. They might not meet some of the bigger players, but 
I think it'll give them a good time to take a look at the manager if they haven't gotten one already secure. But uh, aside from Ancelotti, who else are they? Who else could potentially take up that role? Yeah, it it, well, it almost has to be him, doesn't it? It seems, like, but I don't think he had a. I don't think he had a good. Uh, well, I don't think his departure was that well received, if I recall correctly. Um, I'd imagine, given Chelsea's history when they sack managers, that they're most likely to have a caretaker manager um, to nurse them through to the end of the season, and then they'll spend the next kind of six months finding the new manager. It wouldn't surprise me if they went after Pep Guardiola now, to, as in to take over from after, next season. After, yeah, from from next season onwards. Do you think? They'd be they'd be worried about running the risk of if they have a caretaker manager whether they could turn it around enough um, for just this season, I suppose. I th- I think the way things are going, that it might be beyond them. I think they're they're quite a fair way down. Um, so unless unless we are saying that say Color Color is the man and they're going to just suddenly, as soon as he turns up, regain that form. That um, they had last season and just reel off, you know, five or six wins on the bounce to get them back into the top six, say, which I, I am sceptical about. Then I think they will go with the caretaker and look to get someone in on a rebuilding style project. Is- and I guess it would also, if they're not in the Champions League, if, if they finish, say, seventh or eighth under a caretaker, Guardiola might be tempted because all these managers are big egos. Yeah. They want as much power as possible. So Chelsea will literally be bending over for a top manager. And it'd be great because for someone like Guardiola, he could come in you know, with a Chelsea who finished seventh. Um, wouldn't need that much work to turn them around, you wouldn't think, because it seems as if a lot of the issues they currently have are driven by issues with Mourinho. Um, he could potentially take a, a similar squad to what they have now with a couple of additions and push them back into that top four. And he suddenly looks, you know, a saviour for Chelsea and, and instantly gets that sort of um, ego boost, as you're saying. Definitely, definitely. And he had no, obviously, he knows Fabregas and he's going quite well. He had no Diego Costa from his time over there. And he would, he's played against when he was at Barcelona and scouted. You know, they had those Champions League ties against Chelsea. So a lot of those old players are still there. So he had known the squad pretty well already. So it wouldn't take too much, and Abramovich would give him a, a, a sufficient funds to probably bring in two or three players, which is what he'd want to do. It is quite fascinating, as you, as you said. I mean, everyone sort of expects Chelsea to go on that sort of run and, and really sort of push back up to the top of the table. Um, but each passing week, it just seems less and less likely that that sort of flick and, flick and form will just appear. Um, I mean, they took the lead early against Liverpool, but um, obviously then succumb to Liverpool's pressure. Um, and I'll, I'll just finish off on, on this topic. I'll ask for a talk. I mean, what ramifications are there for Liverpool from this victory? Do you see them uh, taking any significance from it, any any big confidence boost, or, or with Chelsea so poor that it's just sort of um, a blip? I think I think it's actually good just to get those, uh, well, just to get the win under the belt, uh, especially good for Klopp. I mean, I think you saw his interview. He's not hes not going crazy with anything. He just wants to settle down with the squad, know what's available to him, identify what can be improved upon, and uh, maybe, well, maybe maybe 
use that as a platform to build for something even better over well over the coming seasons. I don't expect any I don't expect any miracles to come from this season, but well, as long as he's as long as he's showing that well, he's got well, sorry. As long as he's got something to build upon, then well, taking the wins taking the wins is good for him. So he's got it's it's a confidence building exercise, I would say. So always good to get the points. Um, on the topic of confidence, then we'll move on and chat about Leicester uh, and their come from behind win yet again against West Brom, and uh, and Bojan's uh, kiss of kiss of death or kiss of life, or however you want to call it, <laughs> has continued. I think he tipped a nil nil for this one, um, and it was anything but that. Quite a an interesting and controversial game in a lot of ways. I think Pulis admitted to having a go at the ref afterwards for a few penalty decisions. So how did you see this one for attack? Oh jeez. Um... I'll admit, you guys did you, the, the loss against you did have me thinking twice because you, because I remember the last time we had a disappointing loss. I remember what happened that last time, but uh, well, thankfully, you know, Ranieri's got them all straightened up, back to business, and get the job done. So that was always encouraging. I was a little a little concerned when we went one nil down because we were so dominant and we were so dominant on the ball. We it's just the, the goal we conceded, you could see it coming a mile away, and just knowing Pulis, you'll just put down the, tr- yeah. just clamp it all down, and just let the game finish one nil. I think, I think every win, I think his last his last few games, all the games that he's won has finished one nil. It's never been any other result for his victory. So there was that bit of a concern. I thought to myself, if we were able to at least tie it back up, we should run away with this, and uh, well. Well, we did end up running away with it. The penalty was a little unfortunate. It probably was was common considering they had three shouts for it. Although it was a bit weak, it was on the third one. I felt that was extremely harsh. But It, it almost seemed as if the ref just kind of caved to the pressure and thought, well, I've got to give one of these. I think, I think so, basically. And when you've got the home crowd on your back, yeah. then it's a little hard to ignore. Bojan, um, your thoughts on that one with the the ref yet again having a few controversial moments? Oh, the McBannerman one, I think it was it was there, but it was soft. The Johnny Evans one, it probably was a penalty, but there's been plenty of occasions when those ones haven't been been given. When he's gone up for a header about the edge of the six yard box and been effectively pulled down, and it would have, it would have been a certain goal. The Darren Fletcher one, when Huth just ran through through him, I don't think I've ever seen a more blatant penalty in my life. <laughs> the guy, the ball's played in, Fletcher's chested it, and Huth's just come through and platted it inside the box. It's a foul everywhere on, on the pitch. I'm, I'm not sure what the justification the referee had for not for not giving that. I thought it was... Did you see it, SM? Uh, I don't. I don't remember that one in particular. I, I was flicking through a, di- a few different games, um, but but in fairness, then when you look at the penalty that was actually given, I think that's a relatively soft penalty. So I mean, it did sort of balance out, I guess. Did it balance out because the Fletcher one was a significantly earlier in the game, and the uh, and yeah. the, the, the Johnny Evans one would have put them two 0 up, I think. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there have been a few interesting incidents with um, Leicester over the last week, um, I guess. But we'll um, move on then and chat about your your mob up against Palace, and I think that's 
two nil-nil results in a row now for you. So it's a bit of a case of boring, boring Man United, isn't it? Mate, three nil-nil results in a row. Two in the Premier League. And oh, right. in the... oh, of course, yeah. One in the Cup. Lead, yeah, League Cup, that's right. Um, oh, it's so tough to watch at the moment. And I know there's, I know Cruyff and a couple of others, when I'm doing my rolling team of the week, have been saying, oh, Anthony Marshall has only got four goals and two assists. Why is he in the team? All you had to do is watch our game on the weekend to realise why he's, he's been in that team. Everything goes through him. We can't create anything without him. He played the most beautiful ball through to Rooney, threw on goal. This guy, Rooney, he's got no turn of pace anymore. Unbelievable. the most perfect ball through to him, and he just couldn't get to it because he's too fat and slow. <laughs> and, and then Marshall, um, Marshall dropped the ball on the left-hand side a couple of minutes later, beat two, puts up, plays it through to Herrera, who's on the penalty spot, and just slips over as he's trying to hit the ball, and it goes wide. And if not for David De Gea, we would have lost this game pretty comfortably. This save from Yannick Balassi was absolutely world-class. I'm not sure if you saw it, but Balassi just smashed it towards the top corner inside the box. And he somehow has got fingertips to it and pushed it, on, pushed it onto the bar. And he made some other great point-blank saves during the game. And it's not looking too, too flash at the moment. I suspect... I mean, this can go one of one of two ways from here. I mean, I'm looking forward to the January transfer window. I'm assuming nothing will change in terms of our formation between now and then. But if he's not going to play Wilson, then he's. I wouldn't be surprised if United try and buy uh, Thomas Muller or a world-class centre forward in January. Are there generally many available in January, though? Money talks, mate. Unfortunately, that's the way the the lead, the, or the Premier League in particular, is at the moment. If you offer enough money, you can generally get the right player. Uh, Marshall was the right player, despite the exorbitant sum of money. So I'm sure that the, the same scouts will be going and trying to find that centre forward. I don't think it's the midfield at the moment, and there's enough kids coming through that there's no need to go and buy a world-class centre midfield at the moment. So I would... Imagine they'll be looking for a centre forward. The only alternative to that, and Frytap's not going to like this, but <laughs> I, I'm, don't, don't worry, mate. I'm not going to. We're not going to try and take Vardy off you. But uh, I think Riyad Mahrez would create the spark that United need going forward because he's a little bit unconventional in the way he plays. Not now. Maybe Van Hal's system will completely stifle that. I'm not sure. The other one I can see us going in for would be um, Sadio Mane, and then you play Marshall some, up Mane on the left. There was some mention of that um, over summer, wasn't there? Correct. Correct. Um, so they. Sorry. So Southampton not back somewhere between fifteen and twenty million pounds for him. Um, I've had dollars having a couple of beers with a, a Southampton supporting friend of mine. And he was saying that, um, from what he's heard, the reason Mane didn't pick up a stink about it is because Coman's told him, look, mate, there's two days before the window closed. We can't sell you now, but we'll sell you in the next window. Interesting. Um, Tuck, do you see there being a chance that Mahrez will be gone in January, or do you think you'd at least try and hold him for the rest of the season? Um, I'm, I'm, well, I'm with the owners. If they are absolutely serious about Europe, Vardy and Mares are going absolutely nowhere. 
I have confidence Vardy will stay. Mares is going to be a little bit trickier, but so far he looks he looks very happy at the club, and he doesn't doesn't look like it doesn't look like anything will sway his way. If well sway, well, sway him away, to be honest. He's actually he's actually settled down with a nice English bird, I hear. So <laughs> <laughs> that always helps. Yeah, indeed. Uh, he's playing too well, if anything. He's playing too well, so now all the big clubs are thinking, hmm, he'd be pretty tasty. I think I think you got you guys might be more more interested in Mane than Mares at this point in time. I think if anything, if we keep up our form, if we if we do if we do all right in that November December period. I actually think we'll actually go on the offensive to try to try lure some players to us to well to make us a more attractive prospect. Saying, "Hey, you want to play Europe next season? Come join us and make it a reality, and try and try to make it work like that." So, so I think that is a good way to go about it, and I think clubs do need to sort of start thinking in that sort of sense that instead of you know letting players leave to play Europe elsewhere, try and build a squad that can actually let them play Europe there. And it, it's a bit interesting that players are, are so happy just to leave to go to another club in quite a short-sighted sort of way. Um, and Bojan will like me bringing this up, but for instance, guys like Robbie Brady and James Chester leaving, um, Brady could well be playing championship next year whilst we're back in the Premier League and Chester's sitting on the bench having not played very much in the last six months with the Euros coming up for Wales. Um, both players... I mean, Brady's looking quite good at Norwich, for instance, but both players have made short-term decisions and it might might pay off for them, it might not, but uh, it's the same when it comes to Europe. If players leave Leicester, for instance, in January, say someone leaves to go to a Southampton or a Tottenham or something like that to play in Europe, and then you guys get European football next season, Spurs get knocked out in the knockouts of Europa, of, of, yeah, of Europa suddenly the, the table's turned. Exactly, exactly right, and, and more often than not, those same players that move on to these bigger clubs don't quite get the same opportunities because yeah. well, bigger names there to be catered to, and they'll get less chance to actually prove themselves. Exactly so, right. Yeah. So uh, if, if Leicester want to get some players who want to play Champions League next year and be top four this year. I could always. If, I'm not sure how much cash they got, but um, maybe well, they like, could look at. Maybe they huh. could look at um, Diego Costa or Thibaut Courtois. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they can probably promise more Champions League than um, Chelsea can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll move on then, and the final game worth touching on um, is Everton's big win over Sunderland, uh, and and the stats kind of show that it's a good time to play Sunderland right after a tie and weird derby because I think they've lost their last five games now after the tie and weird derby. Um, and Everton's starting to look very good. Um, mentioned a few weeks ago that their fixtures really start to open up now, uh, and they're sitting inside the top ten. So uh, if they can start to capitalise on this sort of form, they really could push back up. Um, because it was only two seasons ago that they finished fifth. So um, I think people forget that a little bit after their performances last season. I've right about that. I've always felt that they should be competing higher than well what they did last season. They had a good base to build on. They had Lukaku come in. They spent a lot last season. I felt they really should have capitalised on that. But of course, we know how that story went. Uh, you, as you know, I was a bit critical of them at the start. I still predicted them to finish about seventh or eighth. But uh, 
well, they finally have delivered, which is fantastic to see. But, well, as West Ham has showed, I mean, good job on beating the big boys. That's very good. You're, car- you're, well, you're hovering around the top 10 spot with the easier fixtures, but... Those mid-table sides are not are not easy. They're going to they're going to throw everything at you. And uh, well, in the Premier League, you've got no rest. Watford, 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 Stowe, Norwich—they can all provide a good fight. Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the most part. Well, as as you know from last season for Attack, I think Leicester started the season with a pretty tough run of fixtures and, and did quite well. And I. Th- I think it was after the United win, and, and I think Jats or someone was saying that you guys had a much easier fixture after that, um, and it was sort of at that point that it all went downhill. Uh, we went in with big heads against the Palace match. We thought, we beat United. What could Palace do? And, uh, well, Palace put us on our, put us on our backsides, and uh, we never recovered. We didn't really... It took us a long time to recover since then. It's very important for a team that they don't have that sort of attitude, especially if they come across an easier run of fixtures, in quote marks. You've got to make sure you treat every game, you've got to make sure you treat every game the same. So we'll be going into Watford like we would against one of the bigger boys. Watford have looked pretty, Watford have looked pretty darn good and uh, they're pretty good defensively. So we've got to make sure... We've got to make sure we do everything to make sure we get those three points. I mean, they're a newly promoted side, so even if we weren't in the position we were in, we would try to win the game at all costs. Just touching on Watford, actually, finally, because Bayern did tip that as the game of the yeah. round last week. And um, and I think a few of us were actually pointing out West Ham do struggle against those sorts of sides, and, and indeed they did again. And Odi and Igalo, what sort of... I mean, everyone's focused on Vardy and, and the form he's in, but... You've got to give credit to this bloke as well. I mean, he's in incredible form. His partnership with Dean. Troy Deeney reminds me a lot of Andy Chow and Dwight York. They seem to know each other's game inside out. They play lots of one-twos, one-two, one-twos, um, and get themselves in, in great positions. And Idalo gets a chance and finishes it. And did you- Andy, Andy Carroll. It's one of the funniest things. Did you see when he tried to tried to clear the ball, and then he tried some like elaborate cross turn combination <laughs> with with a nutmeg on Nathan Ackley, who just said thanks for coming, mate, inside his own <laughs> box, and then crossed it straight to Idalo. <laughs> Restwall was, was really he was he was he was livid. Jeez, that was that was some really terrible stuff. I thought that was an own goal, actually, but they've given it to him. Fair enough. He's had a fantastic season. Well, to be fair, I thought it would be the other bloke that would be getting all yeah. the And well, unfortunately... I, preseason, I'm I thought Deeney would. Sorry? Preseason, I thought Deeney was going to score all their goals. I think everyone thought Deeney was going to be getting yeah. his goals. Um, as I said, out of those two, I'm more worried about Pruneface scoring next week than I am about the other ones. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, Leicester Watford games. Anything goes, I suppose. Um, and I think Igalo's already their top Premier League scorer of all time, so that's a pretty impressive stat. And, and just touching back on the Everton match, um, Kone and Lukaku seem to have struck up a very similar partnership as well because I think all of Kone's goals have been assisted by Lukaku and they're, they're both playing very, very well for Everton at the moment, which is a bit of a surprise because I think most people had ridden Kone off. He had a lot of injuries. Yeah. A lot of injuries. He reminds me of a, in the way he moves, a bit of like a poor man's Berbatov. 
he, he just kind of walks around the pitch and then he's looking and then suddenly he'll sprint in, into the space, look after his ball with the outside of his left foot to Kone was um, beautiful to the third or fourth goal, I can't quite, quite recall um, which, which one it was. He's in a hot streak of form. But a lot of the good work, and it was against Sunderland, who leave so much space, it's not funny, but uh, Delefeu, yeah, he was fantastic in this game. He was very high, highly rated in Barcelona. Initially, they really didn't want to loan him out, but Martinez persisted, persisted, and they finally got him on loan. And then he didn't have a great season. They were like, oh, well, you know. And then they, ended up, and then they sold him. I'm pretty sure he's a Everton player Yeah, now. I think he's sold, but they've got buyback rights for a couple of years, I think. Yeah, right. But if he can string a few more performances like this together, he could really turn into a player. And you can just see kind of three, four years' time, him and Barkley could be fairly formidable. Absolutely. Um, we'll touch on the Champions League schedule now just quickly. Um, and there's obviously a few games of highlight. Um, it's the reverse fixtures of the last round of um, Champions League games. And we've got United at home to CSKA. Do you reckon you'll finally get a goal in that one? Yeah, I think we've got enough. Um, I'd, they didn't trouble us at all in the in the um, in Moscow, so it was a one-one draw because of the we gave a penalty from a handball. Uh, I think I think we'll have enough. I think it'll be an unconvincing two-nil victory. And Bayern Munich at home against Arsenal, do we expect them to sort of pummel Arsenal into the dirt as payback after the um, the last result? Uh, I... Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they only got a nil all in their last uh, league game, so I think they might be a little bit they might be a little bit hungry for some hungry for some goals, I suppose. So. Uh, I think that will be a very interesting game to watch, actually. I don't think Arsenal's going to give Bayern Munich that much breathing space, to be honest. I think it might be closer than what people are giving this match credit for. So I'm actually back in Arsenal to do something there. And Dynamo Kiev against Chelsea. Any chance of another um, another loss to compound Mourinho's misery? Stamford Bridge? Uh, yep. Yeah. Okay, Um, so we'll we'll move on then and and, uh, preview next week's games, um, which is the last set of games before the international break. Uh, And the early game we've got is Bournemouth against Newcastle at home for Bournemouth. Do we see any chance of any sort of positive result in this one for Bournemouth? I mean, it's a pretty underwhelming fixture at the moment. Depends what you get. Draw. Draw? 1-1. 1-1. I think there's going to be quite a few goals, and as I said, it doesn't matter which Newcastle turns up. There's going to be goals either way. I think Bournemouth might see this as an opportunity because Newcastle, oh geez, sometimes they look good, other times they look horrible, and uh, I think they could still do something, but uh, remains to be seen. I'm probably going to say two all. It's a pretty big fixture actually because they're only separated by one point, and the um, the loser will in the drop zone so yeah I might I might say that Bournemouth might edge this one 2-0 only because Newcastle's goalkeeping stocks are so low at the moment and they must surely qualify for an emergency loan soon or is um, Darlow back 
I think uh, Darlow's a, a week away still, but if I recall correctly, I think all of their registered keepers are injured, so yeah. they could qualify. Yeah, so I guess watch this space. Hopefully they can do something about that. Um, we've already touched on it a little bit, but Leicester against Watford should be a, a pretty interesting game between two sides in pretty decent form at the moment. Um Igala's some doubt for the game, I think, because he was taken out by Collins uh, towards the end of the last game. Yeah. But if they both start, do we reckon both Vardy and Igala should continue their, their hot streak? I think I think Igala's not going to score. I think he is going to assist, though. He'll get the assist for Dean. Unfortunately <laughs> for us, we're not the type to keep clean sheets. We're going to outscore, we're going to outscore Watford... Vardy will continue his hot streak. I think we're going to take this 3-1. I will say that Watford will give Leicester a torrid time. But Leicester's strength is really the, the speed of their counter-attack. The, the movement of Vardy, not just his straight line speed, but his movement is um, of the highest quality. And Mahrez has got a habit of finding him. I think they will struggle defensively, and I will say 2-2. Two, two. Right. There is something else I want to mention. Uh, yep. Keep an eye on the goal of Conte for this match. Um, I think I think from the West Brom game, he's actually taken over the most interceptions and blocks. So he's building, t- and he's I think he's played the fewest, the fewest minutes out of all the top runners. He's provided us with a lot of run in that, a lot of run and hard work in that midfield. And he did set up Vardy. Well, he initiated the Vardy attack. So I keep an eye on him. I think he's got some. I think there's more to see of him yet. We've also got United up against West Brom, and I think the Saints probably set for another nil-nil, isn't it, Boyan? That's my fear. <laughs> but um, I'm a, I'm hoping that. Um, Fletch and Johnny Evans do us a solid, and um, we'll win one nil. I think Pillars is going to. I think Pillars is going to lock you down, and the fact that you're not creating much isn't helping. I'm afraid it is going to be nil all. I think it's not West... the creativity; it's the fact that Rooney can't finish his dinner. <laughs> or in fact, his dinner is the only thing he's finishing at the moment. Uh, <laughs> West Brom, did West Brom win at Old Trafford last season? If I remember, was it the season before where Berahino, um scored the winner? Season before. Season before. Okay. I think. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a hard one to predict. I think it'll be either United or a draw. I don't see West Brom winning it, but. Yeah, if we, if United win it, it'll be probably 1-0 or something like that to Martial. Um, Norwich up against Swansea. Any any chance that Swansea can um, do them over at home? Because Swansea aren't looking great at the moment. They they lost last week to Arsenal 3-0. I think Norwich is going to be a bit stroppy for this. Uh, is it going to be a bit stroppy? Um, I think they'll give Swansea a good fight. Swansea haven't looked fantastic. That that Gomez that Gomez one and one oh Jesus yeah. that's that's out of four I think I think I think Norwich will make it two one Norwich were very good against Manchester City and um, were surprisingly so yeah yeah were pretty stiff not to um, get something out of the game I thought they deserved the draw and the one touch passing really cut Man City up Swansea. Something not right there this season, I feel. But I don't think Norwich will have enough in this game. Are they at home, Norwich? Ah, uh, yeah. Preferred. 
Uh, I'll say two-two. Yeah, I might. I might just give the edge to Swansea, um, but it'll be. I think it'll be a very tight game. Yeah, I think maybe two-one or or two-two. Yeah. Um, Sunderland at home to Southampton, and I think this was the fixture last year that saw eight goals shipped by Sunderland. Um, Southampton to do to do them pretty easily. That's that, that Sunderland defence. Jesus Christ! Oh man, um, I, it's going to be a big tough fight for Sam. He's just just try to find out what he can do to that team. I don't think he's going to have off Southampton. Uh, I think Pele is going to have some fun here. I think, oh, do, do, dare I say it? I want to go large on this one. <laughs> I can't see this happening any other way. I'll say 5-1. 5-1 Southampton. I think that Mane, who, did he score four or five against him last year in that one game? Um, oh, no, no, sorry. It was the fastest half-trick of all time, wasn't it? No, that was against Villa, yeah. Well, regardless of that, I think Pella and Mane both get hat-tricks in a 6-1 win. Yeah, I'm thinking 5 or 6 nil to Southampton in that one. Um, West Ham up against Everton. Should be, should be an interesting game. They're both playing pretty decent football, I suppose. Would be, and I think Everton does qualify under the top team rules. And, uh, <laughs> And I think since it's at home, I think West Ham. I think West Ham. Uh, this, I think this has a potential to be a very fun game. In all honesty, very attacking, lots of fun. I'm going to say, ooh, maybe three-two West Ham. West Ham looked pretty flat against Watford. They might be slowing down a bit. They might also be a little bit too reliant on pay it. I think they just did the ball in with every opportunity. And with Andy Carroll out of form completely, I will say 2-2. Um, yeah, I might say 2-1 to Everton, but I think Pyatt might get on the score sheet in that one. Um, late game, we have Chelsea up against Stoke in a, in a repeat of that League Cup fixture. Um, it's at Stoke. Um, could be Mourinho's farewell game. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that whatever Chelsea... And muster going forward, which I don't think will be much. Jeff Butland should be able, be able to keep them out. Um, he was amazing on the weekend. This guy's got a lot of talent. He had that one week week before last where he had a bit of a nightmare. But outside of that, he's been pretty much flawless all year. People that don't watch Stoke, like I understand why you wouldn't, um, will not understand how good this keeper is. And I think that they keep a clean sheet in a 2-0 win for Stoke. I second the statements about Butland. Real has had a really good season so far. I think he'll keep a clean sheet. It's just a question of how much, well, how much attacking prowess Stoke will have. I think they, I think they might nick it one nil. Yeah, I, I think they might get a one nil as well. I think yeah, Butland is a very, very good young keeper. I'd heard about him before he made the move to Stoke. Um, and was interested to see how much opportunity he'd get there. So it'll be interesting. I mean, it's Begovic back against Stoke um, with the you know the understudy up against the former master, so there, there might be a bit of an interesting dynamic there. And, yeah, I think Stoke 1-0 sounds, sounds about right. 
Um, Villa at home against Man City will be un- unveiling their new manager, Remy Gard, if they can learn to spell his name right. Uh, <laughs> um, any any hope of a, a magical first game result for for him, or, or will City sort of overpower them? Is Aguero back? Uh, I'm not actually sure. He might. They might hold him off until after the international break. Well, if Aguero plays, and thus Boney is on the bench, I will tip 9-0. <laughs> if, if Aguero doesn't play and Boney starts, I will tip 1-0. If Khaleesi plays and Boney's on the bench, I'll tip 3-0. Well, you did get the call right last week suggesting that Khaleesi would be up for a start because he did actually start the game against Norwich, which was good to see. Um, so... I think it's horrible. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Uh, what's your prediction for Atak? Wow, Aguero, that makes that much of a difference. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, I'm hoping that he's still a week out. Uh, well, well, one more week out from a selfish point of view. Um, ooh, I can't. You can't see Aston Villa trying to. You can't. You can't really see Aston Villa winning this. I mean, they'll probably have some new manager vibes, but. Oh God, he's he's really he's really done it this time. Unfortunately, he's he's got his hands full. Um, I don't think it's going to be as much of a killer as we think it's going to be. I think they'll take. I think City will take it two 0 Yeah, I, I could see City maybe three one. Um, Villa look like they've started to score a bit more, and I is certainly starting to gel. Just part of the frustration I expressed last week that they'd sacked Sherwood just as the players looked like they're starting to get up and running, but. Yeah, I think City 3-1 in that one. Um, big North London derby. We've got Arsenal up against Spurs at the Emirates. Harry Kane's starting to hit some form, so maybe he'll be a, um, a January United transfer target. He needs to start scoring against some sides that have decent defences before I start to get too excited. But I think Arsenal have got, have got too much talent. And I don't think that Spurs have the players to counteract that kind of front three behind Giroud. So I would say 3-1 Arsenal. These matches have always been uh, interesting there. I'm, I'm second in second agreement about Kane. I mean, anyone can score against Sunderland and uh, Villa. So uh, we'll see how he goes against uh, one of the best defences at the moment the Premier League before I start giving him some credit again. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be close. Tottenham, I think Tottenham will be up for this one. I think they've got a few points to prove. I think, I think understandably, they're going to be a little worried about this fixture, but, ooh, um, I'll, say, I'll say Arsenal 2-1, just. I yeah. think it's going to be a late winner, I'd say. I think Arsenal should edge this one. And just in a word, guys, uh, do you see Arsenal running the title race to the wire or, or do you think they'll drop off? In one word? In one word, yeah. <laughs> Close, but no cigar. <laughs> I'll, 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 agree with that st- I'll agree with that as well. I think they'll, they'll drop off with like five games to go. But they'll, they'll run it a lot closer than they have done for quite some time. Uh, and in the final game of the round, we've got Liverpool at home to Palace, uh, one of their favourite sides to play, obviously. Um, Palace, to, Palace to perform another upset against Liverpool, or has Klopp finally got them going? It's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one. I mean, you've got the positive energy of Klopp coming in for Liverpool, and 
Palace, Palace seem to have been a little bit off the boil in recent times. Um, uh, I want I want to see Palace do well, but I think I think Klopp might get, Klopp might prove to be a little too much for this game. But ooh, it's going to be close. I'd say two one Liverpool. The only thing that stopped Palace from winning on the weekend was their inability to take chances. Uh, Klopp's Liverpool have only, well, they only got, they've only played one big team and they got a draw out of that game. Outside of that, they've just been playing bottom feeders. <laughs> they, can't, they can't read too much into those games. <laughs> I think this will be very tight, plenty of chances. I just see Liverpool sneaking this 2-1. I think it might be another 1-1 draw for Liverpool. I think you're right. They've only played um, a couple of, lower table sides lately, so I think they've had a few false results in that sense. A fake um, result. <laughs> it's another fake result, yeah. Um, so I think that one will be a draw. But um, that's that's all the previews, so thanks very much for coming on, guys. And, and just before we go, I wanted to, to mention it's the 50th episode of the podcast, um, so who would have thought that, you know, we started a, a little over a year ago covering the World Cup matches, and who would have thought we'd get to this point 50 episodes later um, going strong. So thanks to everyone who's who's helped to contribute to all of those episodes. Um, too many of you to, to list by name. And and thanks to you two for coming on today. No worries, mate. All credit to you for starting this up um, and, and continuing with it. Who's your tip for the cup? Oh, um, trip to Paris is probably, is probably the one I'm backing. Um, my girlfriend keeps telling me about trips to Paris, but I don't know if she's um, giving tips for the cup or, or, or hinting at something else there. Um, but yeah, that's probably the, the horse I'm backing today. Nice this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, thanks very much for coming on, boys, and thank you everyone for listening in. Hopefully your horse gets up at the cup, and hopefully your team gets the win uh, this weekend, and, and we'll be back in two weeks after the international break. So until then, we'll see you on the forums.